So with Mark, I welcome you and I invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices and we also print it right in the middle of our bulletins to our text. We'll be starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And we're actually starting a two-part sermon series on prayer and it's part of our worship series. We're trying to figure out why do we do what we do in our order of worship. We've been walking through it step by step and we pray a lot. If you actually look at our bulletin, there's a whole lot of prayer in here. So we want to talk about what prayer is, why we do it, how it works. In a moment, I will read Luke. Actually, I'm going to give you guys the first opportunity to read today. Let's read together our meditation verse for February. It's here on the other side. Hebrews 4.12. Let's say together, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, this is an incredible verse to get down in us. In a nutshell, it's actually saying that this Bible here knows you better than you know you. And it is living and active, having the power to cut away, to transform you. So how does that work? How does God's word transform us to our new and better self. And how can I maximize its effect, right? Simply by memorizing it. Memorizing's fine. In fact, that's good, but that's actually not the main means of metamorphosis. That's not the track to transformation. That's why we don't call this here our memory verse. What do we call it? Our meditation verse. The main means of metamorphosis is meditation. So what is meditation? Well, Donald Whit Whitney, he says, meditation, it's not daydreaming, but it is how we do nothing to the glory of God. I like that. We don't let our minds wander, but we focus our minds and we humble our hearts. We take a verse and we chew on it like a cow does cud. We pause on it. And we ponder, what, what does this mean? God's word enables us, when we really meditate on it, to know the mystery of who God is. Also, who we are as those made in his image. What he has done then in Christ to make us his own. And then how we can rest in that relationship. By the way, that's the main point of Hebrews 4, finding rest. Read the context, yeah. Meditation is actually about God's rest. It's how we start every service, right? It's that moment of meditation where we hear Jesus call us to himself. Anybody here tired, burnt out, worn out? Come recover your life, Jesus is saying. And we get that offer of, of a kind yoke as Jesus holds out his heart. And we take a deep breath. Consider what that invitation means to leave the world behind. I mean, what images, what thoughts, what feelings rise up in the living room of your life when you really stop and pause on that? Me? Sometimes I know him for overworking. And then I see myself. I'm yoked to Jesus. And what I see in that picture is actually Jesus when I'm really weary, putting his arm around me and helping me along. Sometimes when I feel like nobody in the world gets who Joel is, 
I see Jesus hold out his heart, gentle and lowly. And as I meditate on that, I suddenly realize Jesus is saying to me, Joel, I'm the most accessible human being to ever walk the planet. Come to me. That's what Matthew 11, 28, 30 does for me when I begin to meditate on it. Friends, God gave us our Bibles as an invitation to know him really and personally and to become happy and whole in him, happy and holy in him. You don't get one without the other. So let's see now, as I've kind of prefaced, what God has for us today. And first, I invite you, let's all pray together that we're going to get something from this word as we meditate on it. Turn back one page in your bulletin. We're going to do the second verse of Speak, O Lord. We're going to pray together that God will make himself known to us. Let us pray. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now hear the word of our God, starting in verse 38 of Luke 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Hmm? I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Oh, this is a well-known story 
of Jesus being welcomed to the home of his friends. Martha and Mary, we know they have a brother named Lazarus. This is actually an interesting section in Luke. A couple chapters back in chapter 9, Jesus declared he's heading to Jerusalem, going to the cross. He's going to be turned over to the rulers. He's going to be crucified, and he says, I'm going to rise again on the third day. He makes this announcement to his mission, crystal clear, three times to his disciples, and three times, right over their heads. Luke says, and they had no idea. They didn't understand what he was saying at all. That's the context here. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And then Jesus arrives at this home, which is on the way to Jerusalem. And Luke says something really strange takes place. Mary leaves off serving at some point so she can spend time sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, to sit at a rabbi's feet, that means taking up the posture of a disciple. And that's a big no-no for Jewish women in this culture. But Jesus has no problem with it. Jesus appreciates it. Not Martha, though, right? (laughs) The role of women is to cook and clean. So Martha basically becomes a domestic terrorist at this point in time, (laughs) right? But you ladies, you're going to be very happy to see that Jesus is actually an advocate of women's liberation right here. He says unequivocally, that a woman's place is not necessarily in the kitchen. Let's not beat up too much on Martha. She's not the bad guy or the bad gal here. Both Mary and Martha are living, loving Jesus and seeking to serve him. Both. Mary served for a while. That's what Martha says. She left off helping me. But then she stopped to spend time with Jesus. Martha loves Jesus, and she keeps serving him like you'd expect, actually, in light of what Luke has been telling us. Do you know what comes right before this scene? The parable of the Good Samaritan, who, unlike some religious people, show hospitality. He shows hospitality for the needy traveler. And the previous chapter ends with Jesus saying, foxes and birds have places, but the Son of Man, he's homeless, has nowhere to lay his head. And look at Martha go. When the homeless Jesus walks into her village, she's the one who goes and gets him, brings him into her house. She is active in her love and her service. She loves Jesus. You have two women who both love and serve Jesus. But here's the thing. They have very different postures in their service to Jesus. For Martha, her service becomes begrudging duty. For Mary, her service becomes beholding beauty. That's what I want us to see here. And it's all the difference in the world when you know how to knock off what you're doing to sit at Jesus' feet. Ancient Christians actually talked about there's two types of Christians. You have the active Christians and you have the contemplative Christians. And for most of Christian history, the contemplative Christians, they're the ones who are held up in front of everybody, right? They're to be admired, not so much today. There's high praise in our day for the active Christian since at least the 60s. Active Christians are the order of the day, particularly for millennials and beyond. I've talked to younger Christians who, they talk a lot about the invisible church in the world. The invisible church. And by that I mean the church becomes invisible after this service is over. They don't see any service to Jesus in all the places of need, particularly inner city places. Young active Christians that see all the problems of our world and how can they not now that they have social media, right? 
they have access to all the problems. They also have more access to solutions, information, ideas to fix things. And so they want to do mattering things and change the world. And that's good. But I fear that many of them, too many of them, end up like Martha. By the way, she's a complete wreck here. She's triple alienated. Look at verses 40 and 41. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She's experienced alienation from God. Lord, do you not care? She's experienced an alienation from her sister. My sister has left me to serve all by myself. She's experiencing alienation from herself. She's distracted, anxious, and troubled. And that Greek word for trouble is only here in the New Testament. It means she's disturbed. Could be mentally. She's being ripped apart inside. And what's shocking is she's living to love and serve Jesus in this time. That's what we see in our culture today, right? Many, many who are active Christians and they're experiencing mental health breakdowns, alienation, and isolation. Maybe this is hitting home today. So what does Jesus have to say to us who live in the crazy busy and we're falling apart and we feel isolated? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Do you notice Jesus' affection here? This double repetition of Martha's name, it's affection, it's compassion. I care about you. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, I'm glad you came to me for help. And then he tells her is what is not necessary is uh, your sister's help. What will help is consideration of the good portion that Mary has discovered. What was that? Not the feast that Martha was preparing, but the other feast. Ancient Christian commentators, I think, get this more clear than we do. Augustine writes, Martha was intent on how she might feed the Lord. Mary intent on how, how she might be fed by the Lord. By Martha, a feast was being prepared for the Lord, in whose feast Mary was even now delighting herself. In Martha was the image of things present. In Mary, the image of the things to come. What Martha was doing, that we are now. What Mary was doing, that we hope for. Let us do the first well, that we might have the second fully. There's so much to unpack there. But Augustine is at least saying this. It's not a contrast, Mary and Martha, between good and bad. No, no. It's the contrast between the labors of this life that are passing away and the far better eternal portion that Mary is experiencing even now as she sits with God in the flesh. And we can only do the first one well when we see that the one thing we need most is Jesus as our highest joy and spending time with him. To have our hearts just enthralled with the fact that being a Christian isn't about what I do, but being with Jesus and knowing he loves me. Now, Martha, we know she loves Jesus. That's why she's so busy serving, right? But do you see what happens when we're not balanced? 
she actually gets annoyed at Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, come on, don't you see what's going on in my life? Why is that? Why is she annoyed at Jesus? It's because she doesn't get the gospel yet. What is the gospel? Jesus actually tells us in Matthew 20, 28, Mark 10, 45, and actually in that scene in John 13 when he starts washing his disciples' feet, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to save us by dying on the cross, to pay off all of our debts. Jesus is saying, our relationship is not based on your service to me, but mine to you. Martha, I appreciate your actions, but what I really appreciate is our interactions. I don't want your begrudging duty. I want you to behold my beauty. I'm the one thing you need most. And my beauty, when you truly get that, will transform you so then you can actually go and serve in a state of rest. That's why Mary could serve, but then put it down and stop to sit at the feet of her Savior. Martha couldn't stop, you know why? We talked about idols the last few weeks, right? Service had become her Savior. I know Christians like this, quite a few. Their service, their good works for Jesus are what assure them that they're saved, that they're a Christian. I go to church, I volunteer, I read my Bible daily, I did my four chapters today, so I'm all good with God, right? Their service is their idol. It leaves them alienated, it leaves them isolated, and it is as unforgiving an idol as you will ever meet on this planet. But sitting at the feet of Jesus, <laughs> he brings you a growing sense of your forgiveness, of your peace that he wants you to have, shalom, blessedness, of joy, and some of you are wondering right now, Pastor Joel, how in the world can I experience what Mary did? And a few others, you may be wondering, Joel, didn't you say this is a sermon on prayer? <laughs> and you have yet to even talk about it. What's going on? This scene right here, I believe, sets the plate for Jesus' teaching on prayer, which his disciples don't yet get. This scene asks us to ask ourselves, what do we see as the one thing needful in our prayer lives? And we can actually know this. Does your prayer look, life look more like Mary's or like Martha's? Did you see Martha's prayer life? Hey, Jesus, I'm over here. Do you see my life? I'm up to my eyeballs and soap suds right now, and I need this. I need that. Help me. What do we see in Mary's prayer life, or do we? Do we see a prayer life here? She starts with adoration. <laughs> She's got a different need altogether. What does Mary need? FaceTime with Jesus. That's what I need. I need to sit and listen to your voice, dear Savior. She gladly sets aside this world, all the unfinished business that she has, there's stuff to do, so she can commune with Jesus and we can do the same. Back up one page in your bulletin. Our preparation for confession was Psalm 1. Do you know what the book of Psalms is? It's actually the Bible's prayer book. It's the Bible's prayer book. There's amazing prayers in here. But how does it start? Not with prayer. It starts off with a man who does what? Meditates, Becca. Meditates 
on God's law day and night and delights in it. The person who meditates on God's law, and that means the Bible, by the way, who roots their life in the life-giving word of God. They're drinking it in slowly. That's how a tree takes in water, slowly taking it in. They become the opposite of Martha. Isn't she kind of being blown everywhere like the chaff? They become solid in this world. They become healthy. Think about this man. He's at peace. Solid as an oak tree. Wouldn't you like to do that? And doing amazing things. Service, bearing much fruit for God. And more and more each year as they get more and more nourishment from God's word. Now some of us are thinking, oh no, Pastor Joel is giving me practical application, meditating on the Bible. I'm so busy. I struggle to focus. I get really, really distracted. Actually, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on this um, called Crazy Busy about our Martha culture. And he encourages rest and rhythms that are in line with a merry posture. But he subtitled it, A Mercifully Short Book About a Really Big Problem. That's his way of saying you've been so Marthaed that you can barely slow down to read anything and take it in. <laughs> a scholar named Neil Postman actually saw this coming back in the 80s. He wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death where he talked about how visual technology was actually corrupting us. Sesame Street was actually the beginning of the end of all education, any real education, right? Kids were being trained that they must be amused in order to learn and by default unengaged. The only way, I mean, think about it, the only way schools can compete with a seven foot tall canary, you know, is they gotta make the education experience really, really exciting, entertaining, visually stimulating. I'm on a school board, I walk in these classrooms like, I'm not here to make war on Ernie and Grover, all right? Let's put down your... <laughs> but his point, his point is really good. We live in a culture, we have lost our ability to read and imagine. To read and imagine. And right in the middle of Neil Postman's book, is, this is really pressing chapter, he gives the reason for why Western culture became so great. You know why? Because of Mount Sinai. Huh? where Moses got the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, Neil Postman wasn't even a, he was a secular Jew, he wasn't even a believer. But he argued that Western culture, the reason it thrived and got so great and impacted the world was because of its Judeo-Christian roots. Societies built on knowing through engagement with words, not with images. When Moses got the Ten Commandments from God, every other culture in the ancient world, they had their gods and you knew them because they made images. They made images. Israel was told, not, not me. God says, no, no, no. You will know me. You can know me, the true God, only by my word. And you can know yourself and the whole world through this grid, through the grid of the word of God that I'm giving to you. Friends, you can know the true and living God who made you, who redeemed you, who loves you, not by visual images, but by the word. And that offer still stands today. That's my message here for you. You can have face time with the living God through his word, just like Mary. Jesus actually brought you today, probably didn't know this, to invite you to let him break those chains free that the screens probably have on you, right? Not literally break your screen. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe literally break your screens. Maybe. 
but to reject their authority, to reject their authority, to put them down at times, to step away so you can have real relationship. God invites you to meditate on his law, to, let you, to give the Bible authority over you. That's why he calls it the law, to say, this has authority over me. I trust it. Not as a simple rule book. Like I said, it's a personal invitation to know your God. And when you spend time with him like this, you will be transformed. Turn back one more page. Very first page in our bulletin. Our call to worship. I invite you to take your bulletins home this week and look at Psalm 18. This is your your homework. Find space and time for the next seven days to meditate on who your God is just from this first verse here in Psalm 18. This psalm has, look at all the metaphors, a ton of them. Word pictures of who God is for you. David says, I love you, Lord, my rock, my strength, my fortress, my refuge, my deliverer, my shield. I've actually been meditating on this all week, spending time thanking him, saying, wow, my muscles are kind of worried, but God, you're my strength. When fiery darts come my way, oh God, you're my shield. I don't have to worry about that. Some of you, though, you're like, I get so distracted. I'm like Martha. I can't even stop for a minute. Okay, go to the next page. This is from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You probably heard that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You know what you need to do if you struggle with being distracted? You take up your soul by the collar, okay? And you say, soul, bless the Lord. Forget not all his benefits. Soul, praise him. Sometimes we have to do that. If you continue to do that over time, you'll begin to enter into that relationship and know who your God is. Friends, you have opportunity to have face time with God by simply being still and coming to know him. Meditating on his word. And this is so countercultural. I know it. We live in a world of manic Marthas. We're busy, distracted. We're doing lots of good things. They're good things. But sadly, too often we don't know God and then we don't really know how to pray. Oh, now we get to prayer. Because too often our prayers are primarily just for God to fix things, right? Help me fix things. Friends, everything changes when our prayers start with a relationship where you know God, where you know the one you're speaking to. And then by discovering his heart, by discovering his power and his glory, You can begin to imagine, you can begin to envision the sort of person he desires to make you into, which is better than what you can imagine. And knowing God will change everything about your prayers. That's why the disciples, when we come to chapter 11, they're just so amazed by the way Jesus prayed. They're looking at this guy like, what planet did he come from? (laughs) That's why they're like, hey, could you teach us how to pray? Like, we've never seen anything like this because Jesus prayed like nobody had ever seen. Jesus actually shows us how humanity was meant to function in daily, constant fellowship with our God, but we lost that in the Garden of Eden. Jesus wanted us to actually, he wants to show us in this prayer. In fact, Jesus, think of himself because he's human. He wanted to know God in his humanity in a new way. He'd never known God that way before. He was the son of God all the time, all eternity. When he became a human, he wanted, he was the Psalm 1 man delighting in God's law and going to him in constant prayer. Jesus knew this constant daily fellowship with God, something that his, the way his disciples didn't know and the way that we don't know. 
until that darkest of all days when God turned his face away and Jesus experienced the abandonment that is our normal. That is our normal. What an incredible thing. It's interesting. That's the only time Jesus says, my God. Every other time he's addressing God, he's always saying, Father. One time, it turns. What an incredible thing. The first word Jesus says when he teaches us to pray is, Father, Father, the creator of the cosmos. <laughs> That's my dad. <laughs> it's incredible. Prayer is about relationship. That's what Jesus is saying. God has unconditional father love for you. I was actually recently just talking with a father who was just talking about that no matter what, he loved his children. It didn't matter what they had done, what they'd become. He would delight the moment they call him up on the phone. He says, my face just starts beaming when I see who's calling me. That's my child. Now, that doesn't change the fact that God is holy, completely other. Notice how Jesus seems together relationship with reverence. Hallowed be your name. This section on prayer, it begins with knowing God as your father, relationship. And you can go to him. And it ends actually with, knowing God as your father. A father you can go to, just like Martha, with all your needs. You can go to God with all your needs. The ask, seek, knock. I need bread. Um, you can go all the time. He's a loving father who wants to give you good gifts. Jesus is asking you this morning. This is Jesus asking you, not Pastor Joel. Do you know God like that? As a loving father. I meet a lot of people. They talk, oh, I have a relationship with God. I pray to God. I pray to God, 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 God. And I, every now and then I've asked, but do you talk to him as a father? I've seen their eyes just. Jesus asked me this question because, yeah, he's asking me too. I always flash back to fifth grade because he has this scene about the fathers who give good gifts, earthly fathers. And I go back to fifth grade and my absentee father showed up at my house with a box. And next day I walked into school with the coolest shoes in the whole school. Yeah, it was just great. I remember thinking I had the greatest dad in the world for about one week until he did as he often did and he didn't show up when I thought he was supposed to be there and let me down. Over time I grew up, I stopped asking for stuff, stopped trusting. And Jesus looks at me and he looks at you and he says, you know, your parents, they can be numbskulls. But they still knew at times how to give you good gifts. So if they as numb souls can occasionally figure out how to be decent parents, how much more can your perfectly heavenly father give you exactly what you need? Jesus asks, do you know your father like that, that he cares for you? J.I. Packer's famous quote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, and his prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. The thought of God as our Father, but that also means the thought of you as a child, as his child. We have to train ourselves to become like children in our prayers. We were discussing this actually the other day in our grow group, and there's a lot of language about becoming prayer warriors, and yeah, ah. I don't find that posture prayer in the Bible. I think believing prayer babies is more accurate. The smaller we get in our prayers, I 
think that's what we find in, in our Bibles. And prayer is really just a simple equation. We're going to get to this more next week. My helplessness and my faith. Helplessness and faith. That's all. These two. It's my helplessness in myself and my faith in my Father who cares for me and can take care of me. What must come before my prayers is my relationship. Knowing God really personally and knowing his heart for me. And you only get that when you actually spend time listening. Letting God awaken your ears to hear his voice. Not just reading your Bible, doing your daily devotions, but pausing over what God has just said. Listening to his heart. Why did he write this for me? Tuning out the noise of the world so you can take in what he has to share with you. And it's so good. And when you do that, you know what happens? You actually know how to pray at that point. You know more and more actually what God's plans are when you're actually listening to him. You begin to more and more have eyes. There's a burning bush over there I never saw. And you can actually enter into what God is already doing as opposed to some agenda you're just trying to squeeze God into your agenda. When it's his agenda, you begin to see. It makes all difference in the world when you can pray and enter into God's agenda than trying to get prayers that answer and fit your agenda, like Martha. Wonderfully, God is good, though. I am so glad that he hasn't answered so many of my boneheaded prayers. <laughs> Jesus doesn't answer Martha's prayer here, right? Martha said, Jesus, make my sister help me. And Jesus, you know what? If Jesus had answered that, he would have been giving her a serpent. He would have been giving her a scorpion if he had sent Mary to help. Though Jesus continues to encourage us to keep asking, keep asking. You know why? Because the more he doesn't ask, answer those prayers, I believe this is how it works, the more your heart is being enlarged so that you can actually fill it with the good gift, the great gift that he wants to give you. Mary doesn't, isn't the answer to her request, and it's a good thing because she was doing the thing most needed. Spending time getting to know the heart of Jesus, listening. Why? So she can serve Jesus in the most incredible way. In John 12, you know what happens? It's Mary who takes a jar of ointment, expensive pure nard, breaks the whole thing. I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars in all on Jesus, drenches him. Why did she do that? Every disciple's like, what in the world are you doing? You foolish woman. You know what Jesus says? Oh, thank you. She's preparing me for my burial. None of the other disciples paused to ponder Jesus' words like Mary did. None of them saw how deep the Father's love was. Mary becomes the first disciple who understands why Jesus came to earth. And she does the most mattering thing ever done on planet earth at that point. Because she sat at Jesus' feet and listened. So I leave us with the incredible opportunity to do mattering things, Martha things, during our short stay here. But do we want to do it as disciples by first sitting at Jesus' feet? Do we want to become a house of prayer here? We're praying about the right things. If we set ourselves to spending time regularly meditating on God's word, listening to what he has to say, listening to his heart, accepting his authority, and then just imagining the possibilities, we're not only going to touch the divine, but we're going to know what we need to pray for here. And we're going to see answers because of things God had planned.
If you're thinking, Joel, you still haven't given me one thing to pray for yet. Well, my answer is I got one thing. Jesus says the Father in heaven gladly gives the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Notice the whole trinity is involved here. It started with Jesus, went to the Father, and ends with the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is better than any material blessing, any help that you can get on this earth, because the Spirit actually takes us by the hand, and he places it in the hand of the author of this book. And we see that the hand is nail-pierced. It's the hand of our Savior. And our eyes are opened then to see we're actually not praying alone at this point. <laughs> but we're praying with the Son, who is also our, our brother. And we're also at that moment, we really realize we truly are beloved children of our Heavenly Father, which means we can stop acting like anxious grown-ups and become dependent children, which is what God wants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the best father, the father that's beyond our imagining. For you've done everything for us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the opportunities you give us to minister. Uh, magnificent ministries are available to us, but what we need is you. Our number one need is to know you, to know your heart, to spend time with you. I ask and pray that you will begin to help us to take seriously Jesus' promise that you'll give us more and more of the Holy Spirit if we ask for it. We confess we love fish and eggs, but what we really need is the gift of your Spirit. So free us from being anxious Marthas, that we might live as, as Marys who actually know the kinds of things you want us to do and be because we know you personally and we know your heart. Free us be, from being held hostage, Lord, to to the images of this age and help us to be more and more just enriched by your word. Help us to love your law. Help us to delight in it like the Psalm 1 man, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.